You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And we have so much to talk about that I have got to interrupt the music as quickly as possible to say Faster My. Good evening and welcome, Howard Parkin. Faster My, Judith, it's great to be here again. Well, yeah, I, because we had our little tour of the observatory last month, it feels like ages since it we've does, been in the studio. It? But we're here now, we've lots to talk about, as you said. We have, and uh, I have been out walking over the, over the last uh, three nights and just seen some magnificent skies. Yeah, we've been really lucky the last few nights. This settled spell of weather has meant we've had some really nice clear nights. Although I must tell you, last Tuesday I took my night school class to the observatory and it was a filthy night. Thick cloud blowing again and everything else. And there was something special in the sky to look at, which I'll talk about in a minute. What happened on Wednesday? Crystal clear. Couldn't mm. believe it. They were so disappointed it was cloudy. But, uh, mm. but Wednesday made up for it because Wednesday was uh, spectacular. Because, of course, a lot of people have been asking me, watch those two bright stars in the western sky. And those two bright stars are, of course, the planets Venus and the planet Jupiter. And on Wednesday in particular, the moon was right between them. Lovely crescent moon between the two of them. It was absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> and uh, someone actually took a picture of it from the end of my road. And my house is directly beneath them, <laughs> all three of them. It's absolutely a wonderful <laughs> picture. But what is fascinating about the sky at the moment is these two planets, which we don't often get the two brightest planets in the solar system um, from the perspective of seeing them from the Earth um, in the sky close together. Um, but what's happening, Venus is rising in the sky, Jupiter is setting, and they're slowly drawing closer and closer together. And in fact, this Wednesday, Thursday, Jupiter will slide past Venus and will become the lower of the two. And then that will ha- happen right through then until um, probably the end of this month, end of March, sorry, end of March. And you're going to get another conjunction with the moon on the 23rd of March. But well worth looking out for over the next few nights. Just watch these two bright stellar objects uh, gliding past one another. And, you know, the fascinating thing is when you look at Venus through a telescope, its diameter is only about what we call three arc seconds. But Jupiter's 30. But Jupiter is so much further away, it's not as bright. But Venus is like a beacon in the sky at the moment, very, very bright. For those that understand when we talk about magnitudes, Venus is minus four magnitude, Jupiter is minus 2.7. By far the brightest two objects in our night sky, other than the moon, of course. And um, But they're just spectacular. And the amount of people who have contacted me and met me and said, what were those two bright stars? Well, I mean, even my grandson said to me, what are those two stars, Grandad? And I said, they're planets. He says, yes, they're Jupiter and Venus. I said, go on, which order? And he got the order wrong. But bless you, Rio, at least you knew what they were. So, uh, And he's eight. You're br- nine, sorry, nine. I'm going to get killed if I said that. You're, bring- you're bringing him up in the, the right way, Absolutely Howard. right. You're, That's the main thing. Yeah. But we, I think uh, somebody like myself, speaking for myself, you have to keep checking yourself to remember that you're not actually looking at, at everything on the same plane when That's you're looking correct. at the sky. Although it looks like that. It does. Because you can pick out the, the plough and, and all the different the shapes. And, and yeah. the, yes. But but you have to remember, just as you've said, that they're in different, totally they're different, different distances. distances away. And that's the problem the ancient astronomers had, because the ancient astronomers, the stories about the idea of a glass globe over the Earth and hanging lights down through the holes in it or fires burning behind the, uh, the dots in the, this big, massive globe. Uh, and that was the concept for many, many centuries before they finally realised that the stars were infinitely further away. And, of course, the constellations are... 
are, are rubbish, really, because you might have the stars of the plough, for instance. Most of the stars of the plough, five of the seven, are roughly the same distance away, but two of them are dramatically much further away. And in a couple of thousand years' time, as comes of what we call their real motion, the motion they do actually slowly change position over a period of centuries, um, the plough will not look anything like it in about 5,000 years' time. The, these two stars will have gone off in different directions. And it's the same with most constellations. But possibly in 5,000 years' time, we probably won't still be I doing this programme. we won't be too worried about that. And I don't think so. But we've got plenty to think about oh, we certainly at, have. at, at the moment. And of course, we've got to make the most of these weeks, haven't we? Because, oh, yes. of course, the clocks will be changing yeah, at the I end of March. The observing season, the best observing season, other than for the casual observer, is basically from the clocks go back to the clocks going forward again. And uh, that's basically October through till March. We can still do some stargazing in April, and we'll be talking about that next month. Um, but it's not as good, and the lights do quickly get very, very lighter, much lighter. And I know people love that, but us astronomers, we like the dark nights, especially when we get a spell of decent weather. I mean, yeah. I did the thing on Wednesday night, it was clear. Thursday clouded over a bit, but Friday night I was giving a talk at the um, Timwell Hill restaurant, and the first thing I did to them, I said, right, don't take your coats off, everyone outside. And we all went outside, and I, sh- I pointed out the two planets I've just said about. And then I said, now, if you look directly overhead as well, we've got Mars. So we've actually got three planets in the sky at the moment. So it's, it's quite a blessing. And uh, that will carry on for quite some time because Venus is going to keep rising. Jupiter will disappear by the end of March, but Venus is going to keep rising and rising in the sky until it reaches its maximum distance from the sun. Then it will start to come back inside the orbit of the sun and the Earth and will disappear. I think it's in August it will disappear. So we've got, we've got it right through now right through the spring and indeed uh, it's going to be quite spectacular and you've only got to glance to the west um, before just after sunset and you'll see this bright object which is of course venus and it is amazing how long it is around it stays around for a long time it's, it's very for... very bright yeah so what else uh, should we be talking about so you've got jupiter and venus in the constellation of pisces which is the the remnants of our autumn constellations you've got pisces and pegasus and andromeda but in the middle of the sky in the south particularly about seven o'clock at night you've got the winter constellations and orion of course needs no introduction everyone knows orion with the three stars in the line and in the winter months orion sort of rises in the east and then stands up proud above the, the southern horizon throughout the winter months then he slowly but surely starts to fall over. He starts to fall over towards the western horizon. And when you see Orion falling over, you know spring is on the way. And not far behind him, you've got the constellations of Cancer, uh, Leo and Virgo, the spring constellations. Not as bright as the winter constellations, as I was talking about some months ago. But nonetheless, Leo, um, the principal star in Leo is the star Regulus, the very bright star Regulus, which is called the Royal Star. Um, and that star stands out very, very well as well indeed. And uh, Virgo below it. So you've only got two very bright stars in this sort of sky. But um, it's nice to see. And I, as I say, when you see Orion falling over, you know that um, it's time for him to go to bed for the for the summer and come back up again next autumn. And he does. And um, last Friday, as I said with this, with my uh, people I had at the, the Timwald, um, we could see the stars of Orion starting to fall over. Um, Mars, incidentally, is almost directly above Orion uh, in the constellation of Taurus the Bull. There's two, a bright star in Orion uh, in Taurus called Aldebaran, and it's a red star, and Mars is the red planet, and the, the brightness of the two is roughly the same, and uh, they're quite distinctive. 
but Mars is the higher one of the two. So look for a reddish coloured star above Orion, and that's the planet Mars. But that's now fading away. It's fading in brightness as it's pulling away from the Earth. Um, it had its close conjunction with us last December. It's now pulling away, and it will disappear. Um, not yet, because some, some months before it'll disappear, but then it won't be visible for about six to eight months before it will come back round again in its conjunction, which won't now be until uh, beginning of January 25. It, it takes two years, so from December 22 to January 25 is, is just over two years. So make the best of Mars, but don't miss out on these two fantastic objects of Jupiter and Venus in the evening sky. Um, setting over Peel, they set roughly about um, 8.30, no, they set about 8.30, the two of them. Uh, but Venus is going to get much, much higher, and by the end of the month, and indeed into um, April, it'll be setting about 11 o'clock, so visible pretty well most of the night, or till midnight anyway. Um, so look out for them, and you can't mistake it, it's that very, very bright star, um, which isn't, of course, a star, it's our nearest celestial neighbour, which is after the moon, which is Venus. And again, I know we've, we've talked about this, but I think it is worth a mention, some very, very skilled photographers are capturing oh, yeah. some of these beautiful skies, oh, making yeah. absolutely the most of, of the, the good equipment that they have, the, you know, n really knowing how to do it. And it's just lovely because if you haven't happened to have seen it, you know, you to be able to see a picture, it, yeah. you can get a real feel for it. So thank you no, to no, all the photographers who do that so. and, and post them up on social media. And, you know, 30, 40 years ago, the only way to get decent astronomical photographs was from big observers. But they were the only way to get decent pictures. But now the advances in amateur photography are such that anybody can take decent pictures. Even with my iPhone, I took a picture of Venus and Jupiter. And it's come out. And it's, it's not a bad picture. It's not brilliant. But it's always that thrill of doing it yourself. Yes. So, um, so Judith, when you're at the Claddocks walking up and down, get your phone out next Wednesday, Thursday, and get a picture. And you can show it me next month. How's that for a challenge? You've got an iPhone? I, it sounds to me as though I'm being given homework here. Point and shoot. It? Point <laughs> and shoot. That's all you've got to do. Dear listener, don't you think it sounds like I'm being given homework Definitely. to do? Definitely. <laughs> I think I am. You'll get lines if you don't do it. <laughs> Well, I'll have a go. I have to say, uh, I love taking pictures. I'll take pictures of, of, of anything that just catches my eye. But I have to say that when it comes to the sky, and I'm not being meaning to be corny or whatever, I just love looking at it. Yeah, I just want to look at it. I, I just, I don't want to look at it through a lens. I just want to no. stand there. I'm and glad you said that because I agree with entirely. Many of the time I've told people when we're looking for an astronomical spectacular like a meteor shower, eclipse or whatever. And I made the mistake when I saw an eclipse in 2006. We were so busy taking pictures, we missed it. So mm. when I saw another one in 2017, I thought, no, no pictures. You can get them off the internet. You can get other people's pictures. Just enjoy it. And it's the same with the stars. You don't have to know the names of the stars, the planets, the constellations or whatever. Just enjoy it because they are majestic. Mm. And actually, if you are going to take a picture, despite what I've just said, what makes an astro photograph even better if you've got some dark trees in the foreground mm. and you see mm. the stars behind it? That makes such a difference than oh, just a yeah. black scene with dots on. Yeah, the, um, a tree or, or the moon yeah, behind a tree. Yeah, the moon behind a, a building or something else like yep. that. Just anything to give it perspective. Yes. And I know Ron Strathley, who I've mentioned before, he takes magnificent astrophotographers. There are other astrophotographers out there as well, but Ron's there, uh, does some great pictures. I know he does lots of talks to different people and uh, his dark mm. sky pictures are quite spectacular. You're mentioning, um, but it seems to me you're, you're mentioning quite a lot of groups that, that you're going to and, and talking to. Are you sensing that there is more of a, a, there's a growing interest? Definitely. I've noticed in 2009, I'm going back for 13, 14 years now, and um, they had the International Year of Astronomy. 
And that seemed to give astronomy a real kick. And I think not only that, I think the other thing that's brought astronomy to the masses, if you like, is the Hubble Space Telescope images. People are now mm. seeing these spectacular pictures from the Hubble. And, of course, now the James Webb Telescope is sending these wonderful pictures to us. And astronomy, and I think awareness, global consciousness, climate change, all these things are all to do with the natural environment and our concern for the natural environment and astronomy and the skies and the dark skies, which is another subject, um, are something that I think people have become very interested in. And um, I know we're going to talk after the break probably about uh, Wales. We've got the dark sky in Wales. Yeah. And I think there's just so much interest. And I'm just delighted to be doing it. I mean, I'm doing these talks around the island now. I keep getting invited to do these talks. At, um, I've done some at The Sound. I've done some at um, Timwald and at Babbage's, and other other places. And um, people still want to hear them, and they go to them, so I'm quite happy to do them. So it's, it's it, great. It just seems that you're mentioning more groups that, yeah. and places that you've been. And, and I just, I think it's very encouraging if it, it is. is if it is um, a, a sign. I think, I think this, and our society is finding a, an upsurge in interest as well. And uh, mm. I think when in COVID, because I wasn't going on the ships lecturing anymore, because COVID stopped all that, I started doing talks on the island. And um, they've just grown, and it's great. Because as mm-hmm. you know, Judith, I'll talk about astronomy <laughs> to anybody any time. Yeah, but also you have an infectious enthusiasm, which is which is a very good thing. So, right, now, because we, we mustn't run out of time to, to talk about what's happening in, in space, but is there anything else that we, um, that we need to be well, talking about? Well, we need about? to talk about the Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights. Go on, then. The Northern Lights uh, peaks every... Well, you can see the Northern Lights pretty well every winter and, and spring, uh, and indeed early autumn. Um, but... It peaks every 11 years, and the next peak is July 2025, and there was a serious prediction that the peak was going to be lower than the one in 2014. The reverse is the case. They're now showing that the amount of aurora, the amount of activity on the sun which causes the aurora, is rising quite substantially, and they're now predicting that the um, solar maximum in July 25 will be bigger than the last two. Uh, and they were well. For fourteen wasn't particularly good, but two thousand three was very good, and they're now predicting that solar activity will be even better. So we're rising up towards that peak now, and uh, that means the chances of seeing aurora are, are better. And the best time to see aurora, statistically, the best time to see aurora, if you're not in the Arctic Circle, which we're not, is uh, a the northern horizon, but secondly around the time of the March equinox. And the March equinox, of course, takes place on the twenty first of March. Equinox equals day equal night, and that's the best time of the year to see the aurora. So if you've got a northern horizon view, look towards the north any time now for the next six, seven weeks and see if you see a glow in the sky, a white glow to start with. If you've got a camera, it'll be green, um, and it may well develop into a significant aurora. There was an aurora alert last week. It didn't transgress into anything. Um, I don't know why, but it just doesn't, because sometimes it, it's very very enigmatic, the aurora. It's, you think it's going to be there, and it's not. Um, but when it is there, it's quite spectacular. And we've had some wonderful pictures of the aurora taken from the Isle of Man, but you really need to have a northern horizon. So anybody between... Andreas and Nayarbal, basically. Or, I mean, for me, living in Onkin, I go up to the veranda. The veranda is a great spot to look over the northern plain and see mm. if we can see any aurora. Mm. But um, good luck with that. But it's certainly well worth looking out for. And uh, um, if you do see it, let us know. And I know many years ago, Bernie Quayle was on the radio many, many years ago. 2000, it was 2000, I think it was. We had an auroral storm which is when you get a really spectacular aurora. And Bernie was on the radio talking about it, and I was listening to it. We were in Nyarbal, actually, at an astronomy mm. meeting, believe it or not. 
and um, he came on the radio. Does anyone know what those lights are in the sky? So I got in touch with Bernie, and we had a lo lovely conversation about it. And you know, even now, people say to me, "I remember seeing the Northern Lights way back at the beginning of the, the of this yes. century, and that yeah. was what they saw." Yeah, that was in uh, March, April. I think it was April the second, the year two thousand. Well, I think that given what we've been talking about for the last quarter of an hour or so, there really is only one piece of music we can play for our break now. And it is from Shocking Blue, believe it or not. This goes back to 1969. Oh dear, show me age. And it is, quite simply, called Venus. We'll be out in space after this. Shocking Blue and Venus because uh, in the first part of this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night we have been talking a lot about Venus in our night sky and so welcome back to Howard Parkin for the second bit of the programme where we we generally look and we are indeed going to look at matters to do with space but first of all let's talk about the news story that uh, broke uh, I think it was just about 48 hours ago mm. and this is that uh, in its which also known as Bardsey Island, has been declared 
a, an international dark sky sanctuary. And it's only it's one of only 16 in the world, in the world yeah. which is amazing. It is an amazing um, achievement for them and congratulations to them. And it, it has a personal connection because my, when I was little, I lived in Liverpool and my parents took me to a place called Aberdaran which is on the tip of the Lynn Peninsula, facing Bardsey Island, which has now got the Welsh name, of course. And um, it, it's great news for them, and it's a fantastic achievement. And these new dark sky sanctuaries, as you know, I'm the International Dark Skies Advocate for the island, and they brought in the sanctuaries only a few years ago. They have a whole range of parks or communities or whatever, and the sanctuaries were given to very special places. And uh, I can imagine Bardsey was absolutely fantastic. It's in the Irish Sea. It's got no lights near it. The, the, the habitation is behind the mountain, which means they're looking out to the sea. But you know what frustrates me, Judith? I can't imagine, how That could have been the calf of man. Mm. I've been trying to get the island to get international dark sky status, whatever we can go for. And one of the suggestions made some years ago that we had the calf of man, and uh, it, it fell on deaf ears, I'm afraid, and... Uh, um, we're still left with, we've got our 26 dark sky sites, which are fantastic. And I talk about them. You talking to me before the break, we were talking about my giving talks. The main talk I'm giving at the moment is all about dark skies and the need to um, do something about this excessive lighting. And uh, that's my, my remit from the IDA. And uh, whilst I'm delighted for Bardsey, I just frustrated a little that we could have um, had something local which would have been a great achievement for us yes I can understand your frustration but there was a little bit um, in the news report that really made me think of you because uh, they talked to various people one lady I can't remember what her role is in in the she's obviously from the area she's the warden I think and yeah. well the this this lady was not the warden and she said which I thought was a very good point she said this is not about getting tens of thousands of people to go to Bardsey Island. She said, that's not what it's no. about at all. It's not to increase the popularity. It is to 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 understand what is unique mm. about this. And then the warden was interviewed and uh, she was a Welsh-speaking lady and they were translating what, what she, you know, there was subtitles to translate what she was saying. And she was saying that she had to take out, she had a handheld uh, digital device right. and she said she has to go out regularly and take readings at different different times of the day SQM and night. meter and she, sorry what is it SQM it sounds complicated sky quality meter that's what they're called oh SQM right. well she, she, she just showed it to us on the on the television screen and then she said it's really great being able to put on your wellingtons and go outside in your pajamas to work <laughs> I don't do that Judah. I don't tend to go out to in my pajamas not too often you would if you saw something really good. I know you would, Oh, Howard. I'd be up all night waiting for it. <laughs> you wouldn't have put your pyjamas on. Right. Moving swiftly on. I um, think so. Nightwear is not on our, on our agenda to discuss. No. Right. So, space. Steve Bowen. Yeah, this is a great story because tomorrow, officially, or scheduled tomorrow, it was meant to be uh, today, but it's been put back 24 hours. Steve Bowen is launching as the new commander of the ISS um, crew 66 I think it is he's going to be 66 stroke 67 and he's launching on a Dragon spacecraft tomorrow and the reason we're talking about Steve Bowen is he came to the island in 2012 he was one of Nicole Stott's crew uh, STS-133 the last flight of Discovery and Steve Bowen came here uh, with his crewmates and had a wonderful time on the island so I thought it would be nice just to remind him of who we were and say good luck Steve with your mission and you know he took the time out to reply to me and he sent a lovely message back he had a wonderful time on the Isle of Man he looks forward to seeing it from space and he hopes to get back here sometime soon he was a lovely bloke but you know things happen in life that you don't expect 
Steve was not meant to go on the original shuttle mission with Nicole. He was meant to fly who knows when. He wasn't scheduled to have a mission. But unfortunately, a chap called Tim Copra um, fell off his bicycle when their mission was delayed and broke his collarbone. So Steve Bohm was then given the, the flight on STS-133 with Nicole, which is why he came here. And Tim Copper eventually got back into space with um, our British astronaut, Tim Peake. So there was two Tims on when Tim Peake was up. So it's amazing how things happen. So you never know. Serendipity, I think they call it. But Steve was such a, such a lovely bloke. And um, I'm now part of his Facebook support team. And so I'll be communicating with him. So I'm hoping you might get a picture of the Alaman from space. And if he does, I'll certainly share it with you. Which would be very exciting. We're working is, on it. There We're is something. On. Well, yeah, go, go to it, Howard. Go to it. So uh, what else? Um, possible... Starship launch well, in this March. Is, yeah, this is a story that's been going for about the last six months. The Starship, Elon Musk's Starship, or mm. launching from Boca Chica in um, Texas. Um, they've been threatening to launch this for some time, but the French aviation, of, not French, what am I talking about? The American aviation authorities have kept giving him all sorts of problems, so I don't know why. But anyway, he still hasn't got his license to fly, but they've tested the rocket. They've clamped it down on the stand and they've fired 31 of the 33 engines and they reckon they're almost ready to go. And one of the earliest predictions was it would go at the beginning of March 2023. So watch this space between now and our next programme. It may well be launched. And if it is, it's going to be quite momentous because this is the first sort of private um, spaceflight rocket and everything else. I mean, no SpaceX launched on their own rockets, the Vulcan uh, 9s, but this rocket is capable of getting to the moon and indeed to Mars, which is Elon Musk's ultimate goal. And he said he would launch in 2023, 24, and um, it looks like he's going to do it. Um, it will launch just to one orbit, then it's going to splash down off the coast of Hawaii, and that will be the first one. And they're already talking about this um, Japanese um, artist who's going to take eight people with him to the moon and back. And that is, at the moment, scheduled for late 23, but frankly, it's going to be late 24 at the earliest. But things are moving, not quite as fast as we like, but there's a lot going on in space and a lot of orbital space flights and uh, tourist space flights. We've got the new Polaris mission going at the end of April. Lots to talk about. And um, just worth keeping your eyes and ears open for. But when it goes, it'll be all over the media, I can assure you. Well, indeed, yes. And that's another thing. There are a lot more space stories Oh, yeah. It seems to get into the press much more yeah. frequently than it, than once it did. I can give you a personal example of that because I do my night school class. I do 12-week night school class starting from October onwards and I'm doing week 12 this Tuesday. And there's been a bit of a gap because I was away. And um, so week 11 was last week at the observatory, week 12 is this week. And every week I give them an update of what's going on, a bit like I give with you, but it's on a weekly basis. And I am struggling to filter out what to include and what not to include, because mm. there's so much going on. Mm. And um, again, when I do my lectures on the ships, I've got to make sure my lectures are up to date. And it was a bit of a laugh years ago, because when I first started doing the lectures, and I gave them to the, on the ship, and they, they said, oh, that's great, we can use them again and again and again. I said, no, you can't, they've got to be updated. Why not? The history lectures don't do that. I said, yes, well, we know everything there is to know about the Bayer Tapestry. That ain't going to change. But astronomy changes literally on a monthly or weekly basis. And that's what we're doing now. The Starship thing will be a big story. But um, only a few months ago, we were talking about the SLS rocket, the Artemis mission. And they're now already, already talking about naming the crew for that, which might include Victor Glover, who's another chap we've met some time ago. And uh, it's just... Keeping pace with it all is incredible. I'm looking forward to the summer when I have some time off. <laughs> You're never going to have time off. No, I never do. Now, right. now, you've got to make a decision because we've only got about 40 seconds left. So you've got to make a decision. What's the most important thing that you need to tell me? 
Well, probably, Judith, what I need to say is that um, the Animal Astronomical Society were very sad in January when James Martin died. James Martin was one of our founder members of the Society and uh, he really was a marvel for us. It was him, uh, I won't say single-handedly arranged the observatory, but he was hugely involved in it and sadly he passed away in January. So this Thursday night, open invitation to any members of the Society, past and present, um, to come along to the observatory on Thursday night. I'll be giving a tribute to James at that um, at that meeting and uh, he's sadly missed and he's, he's left his wife Shirley who's a lovely lady and we're hoping she's going to come along and we want to give a, a worthy tribute to James for all his contribution he made for us and uh, it's a sad note to finish with but his, his legacy lives on in the fact that the observatory is such a wonderful building as you saw and we talked about last month and um, you know that's a, a tribute we're giving to James this Thursday Well as you say it's, it's very sad and we offer our condolences to his family but he has left a wonderful legacy that Indeed. is in superb condition and I can say that now having seen it and something that will live on and so many people will enjoy and benefit from and you couldn't say more than that Exactly, Howard, I am delighted to say will be joining us again on the final Sunday of the month of March Howard Park in Faster My Faster My Judith (laughs) 